one-week season. going on ows fam welcome to the week 17 edition of the ows angles podcast i am your host i am your guest i am jm to win i have 80 percent of my voice back as always throw this baby on 1.5 x speed or 2x speed and let's get started. So uh, apologies for last week. Had to cancel all my podcasts. Actually woke up on Friday morning, uh, still planning to do my podcast. And my thought was so often, so many times over the last two years, I've listened to Hilo podcasts and he's had to mute his mic to cough. And I was like, man, if Hilo can do it, I can do it. And then, uh, my wife was like, you're not doing your podcast today, are you? I said, yeah, I mean, I was planning to. And, sh- and she uh, had better judgment than me. And Uh, told me not to. She'd already gone through this laryngitis thing before me. So uh, it was a good call. Would have been whispering on Friday, Uh, but we're back this week. Still not, still not 100% my throat, but it is what it is. Uh, Let's move forward with this week's slate. So this week, this week is going to be, I think like a pretty critical supplement to the player grid and it's that's typically the case is kind of how this has all become structured there was that stretch in maybe like 2020 or 2021 where my angles podcast and my player grid just was the same thing and it was kind of redundant and i wondered why i was doing both of them and it's kind of developed over time into we use this to talk more about the strategy of the slate as a whole and then the player grid to talk about my player pool but then that allows there to be this balance between like okay, here's my player pool, but there's going to be some things outside the pool that I might be looking to do uh, just based around like, hey, this, this, like on this particular week, the, the, my tight end pool, the cheapest guy in my tight end pool is 4,400. It's, it's Darren Waller or 4,500 Darren Waller. Um, I might end up having to go to some tight ends cheaper than that because of some of the other things that I'm wanting to do on this week's slate that we'll be talking about. Um, the, I only have a handful of, of lower cost wide receivers this week. Uh, I like Rashid Shahid. I like, um, the Cardinals wide receivers, Greg Dorch and Michael Wilson. Uh, there's one other guy who's slipping my mind right now. Um, but again, like I might need, I might have a roster where I need a couple guys down there, right? I only have six running backs in my pool this week because my quarterback pool is a, is a little bit broader. My wide receiver pool as a result of my quarterback pool is a little bit broader. Um, and so I want my running back pool to be tight. But that also means, you know, also uh, like when I was on my show with Pete this morning, he was firing questions to me about this running back and this running back and this running back who weren't in my pool, but it was like, yeah, I mean, all those guys are almost as good as the guys in my pool of uh, Bijan Robinson, a guy who earlier in the week I thought would be in my pool. I kind of cut him out at the last minute. Saquon Barkley, not in my player pool. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott, not in my player pool. Travis Etienne, not in my player pool. Any of them could replace some of the guys in my player pool and, and justifiably be what, kind of one of my core pieces. So uh, it's a week like that where my player pool isn't tremendously strict in terms of, Hey, these are the only guys I'm putting on my tighter build. I guess that's never really the case, right? As I've explained to you guys over time, it's, it's, there's going to be kind of those sometimes that eighth or ninth piece where it's like, 
The floor is not really as high as some of the guys in my core pool, but the ceiling is there. And so I'm willing to take that swing as kind of the last piece on this roster where everything else is high confidence or the the second to last and last pieces on a roster where everything else is high confidence. Um, But these are kind of the, 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 my player grid is kind of the pieces that I'm building around. Um, This week in particular, though, there were some interesting things that started to come together as I was putting my player pool together, realizing how unique the structure of this week is in terms of how I'm approaching the slate. So uh, all of that as kind of background to say, uh, I think this is going to be a good, good angles podcast as, as a supplement to the player grid to kind of understand how I'm seeing the macro of the slate and, and the second and third layers of the macro kind of the farther down in the funnel of that macro of strategy and how, how I'll be approaching things this week. Uh, Before we dive in quick shout out to Last week, uh, OWS fam last week, another big week for the OWS fam. Let me see. I don't have the um, the notes right in front of me, but we took down the spy. We took down the flea flicker. We took down the red zone. We took down the slant. Uh, it's the fourth time, <laughs> unbelievably, uh, the fourth time this season that we have taken down the slant. Uh, it might actually be the second time this year we've taken down the flea flicker as well. Um, hard to keep track of all of the tournament wins. Uh, we might've taken down the red zone before the season. We might've taken down the spy earlier this season, but, um, yeah, just really incredible what the OWS fam has been putting together this year. Testament to you guys putting in the work to learning DFS over the last few years. We've really focused heavily on training and, and adding inner circle a couple of years ago and all the things that we can do to make you better DFS players. Uh, and also a real Testament to all the awesome content that's created on the site. So, um, Shout out to you guys for for the awesome weeks that you guys have been having. I mean, really just an uh, uh, an outlandish season that OWS has had this year on the whole. Uh, as always, if it hasn't happened for you yet, don't worry about it, right? Look around you. Keep knocking on the door. Your weekend is coming. Might not be this week. Might not be week 18. Might be in the playoffs. Might be early next season. But the idea is you keep putting positive samples into the bucket, right? Uh, I've talked about this in Inner Circle. Uh, I don't think I've talked about it on the angles podcast, but for any of you who watch this and are not inner circle members, um, you know, my season, I, I started really hot and typically the first four or five weeks, maybe even the first six weeks of the season when there's, you know, seasons new, we don't have a lot of information about these teams. And then things are so busy for me on the business side. Those tend to be my worst seasons. And then it's like somewhere around week six or seven that I start hitting my stride. And that, that stretch through like week 12, 13, 14 is usually when I make the most money, kind of make up for the early season losses, um, get my profit on the year. This year I started really hot. Those first four or five weeks was, was the best start to the season I've maybe ever had, or at least had in like seven or eight years. And so I kind of expected like, man, once we hit the middle of the season, uh, this this is just going to be an incredible year for, for me. And middle of the season, I actually think I was playing even better in the middle of the season than I played in that first third of the season. And yet had all these weeks where things just weren't falling into place for me uh, and was just kind of slowly treading water. And like my graph was moving slowly down and to the right. Um, so still going to finish the season with really nice profit. But kind of I was at that point by like week seven or eight where it was like, oh, I could lose every single week, the rest of the year, all my entry fees, the rest of the year and still be a profit. And so it was kind of like, man, and I'm going to hit a few, a few more times this year. Um, and just didn't happen for me. Right. And so, um, I, I say that to say, you know, the idea is you keep putting positive samples into the bucket. I was playing even better during that stretch than I was at the start of the season and things just weren't lining up for me. Um, and so kind of keep that in mind and realize that we're, we're playing one week at a time, especially if you're playing single entry, limited entries, uh, you're not putting that many samples into the bucket, but you just keep putting those positive samples in 
and things are going to break in your favor. Things are going to break your way. So um, another thing kind of along those lines, and this is something that talked about in inner circle uh, kind of focused on in, in the winter circle podcast this last week, our midweek training pod. Uh, but I've kind of thought this morning about this and wanted to mention it again. And here is there's these situations where you might be a week early on something right to where um, a few weeks ago, I used the example of, of I, I played heavy Jordan Addison the first week that uh, Dustin Jefferson was back. Cause the thought was, man, this guy costs in the mid five K's, Nobody's going to play him because it was Josh Dobbs under center and, and, and Justin Jefferson back. So you have all this uncertainty. And I played heavy Jordan Addison that week, recognizing that he was capable of scoring 30 points and that people weren't going to be on him. And he was kind of that eighth or ninth piece on rosters where it's like, okay, he's not a high confidence piece, but if my other seven or eight pieces are high confidence pieces, I can put this guy on as the last piece or second to last piece on a roster and try to grab that ceiling that nobody else is getting. Uh, that and that was the three to nothing game against the Raiders, where you know it was you got nothing from Jordan Addison. But fast forward six days to that Saturday slate, and it was a Saturday slate, so we weren't able to take advantage of it. But Jordan Addison went out and put up thirty two point one DraftKings points. So you kind of see how you can be on that right strategy move or that right thought process, and it just doesn't work out on that particular week. But if you're looking for plays like that, you're going to be there in the right place at the right time when those plays hit. Now, again, there's a roster construction component. You don't want a roster full of guys like Jordan Addison where you're like, and hopefully everything falls in place for this guy. And hopefully everything falls in place for this guy and this guy and this guy, because mathematically, you're probably not going to win if you need six or seven Jordan Addisons to all hit on the, on the same roster. But if you have that roster where like, you, you know, you need four things, you need to get four things right to get seven spots right. And they're all pretty high confidence bets that you're placing. And then you added Jordan Addison on as that last piece on, on top of that. Um, there's just so much edge that you can gain and stuff like that. So, uh, and then another example that, uh, you know, talked about this last week was Amari Cooper was it two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Um, I guess three weeks ago when Amari wasn't, wasn't cleared till his, from his concussion until Saturday evening. And I talked about how he was on 40% of my rosters that weekend. And, and what I said was, it wasn't that he was a 40% owned player. It wasn't that he was, like, if he had been active, if we'd known all week that he was going to be active in that game, that was a game where Elijah Moore was drawing a lot of attention from, from the field because everyone thought Amari would be out. And if Amari was going to be active, if we knew that all week, he probably would have been on 15% of my rosters. It would have been like, oh, he's a sharp play. He's going on 15% of my rosters. But the fact that nobody was going to be on him, the fact that what I, what I talked about in Winter Circle after that happened and before Amari's game last week, what I talked about in Winter Circle was here's a guy who, because that concussion news came out late, he's going to be really low owned. Furthermore, because that concussion news came out late and people don't like to rearrange all their thoughts, Elijah Moore is still going to be higher owned than him. So now he's leverage off of Elijah Moore. And what I said at, at that point when I was talking about it and, and is critical was that Amari Cooper was capable of posting a true had to have it separator type of score. And as I would say, that's critical because you don't just want the guy who you're like, kind of like, uh, not, the, not that Amari is, you're taking on risks on that one because he's so central to his offense, but you don't want that one where you're like, I'm going to put this guy in 40% of my rosters because he might be able to get me 20 points or 22 points, 25 points. But the, the key with Amari is, you know, he's capable of going out and putting up 32, 35, 37 points, or as we saw last week, 54 DraftKings points. And so on the weekend question, you know, I had uh, Amari was 3% owned. I had him on 40% of my rosters. He's leveraged off of Elijah Moore, who was over 10% owned that week still, even though Amari was active. And Amari was, I think, 5,800. Elijah Moore was 4,500. It was just like such a great play to where if we played out that slate 100 times, it would make me a ton of money. 
Well, what ended up happening in the small sample size of one slate, Amari had seven catches for 77 yards, lost a fumble, didn't score a touchdown, didn't get the 100-yard bonus. So he ends up with 13.7 DraftKings points. But he got 14 targets in that game. He showed that like, hey, this is the kind of guy who is capable of going out and putting up one of these monster games. And then a couple of weeks later, he goes out and puts up that 54-pointer. Obviously, uh, we were heavy on Amari last week on OWS, so we were able to take advantage of that as well. But it kind of gives you that indication of like, what if Amari had put up that 54-pointer on that week when nobody was on him just because he didn't get cleared from his concussion until Saturday night. So again, we see these spots where like, uh, or for me in my own play, it was like the Jordan Addison thing. It was like, okay, one week later, he hits that 32 pointer. Uh, um, Amari, you know, a few weeks later, he hits this 54 pointer. It's like, what if he had done that on that week where he was 3% owned on 40% of my roster and you're just so far ahead of the field. So you can kind of see how you can be doing the right things, be in the right place, just not at quite the right time. And so you kind of wait for those things to all line up together. But as long as you're playing well, as long as you're putting positive samples into the bucket, things are going to fall into place for you. Uh, again, there's a, a whole roster construction component too of, of making sure that you're maximizing your chances of getting those first place finishes from a strategy standpoint and from a standpoint of turning the math in your favor. If you're an inner circle member, you know what we're talking about with all this stuff. But um, but yeah, just kind of keep all of that in mind that you might be playing really well and things just haven't landed in place for you yet. Uh, I was playing better in the middle of the season than I was at the start of the season. The start of the season made a bunch of profit. Uh, middle of the season kind of treaded water, lost a little bit of money throughout like a seven week span where it was like, oh, I'm playing really well and things just aren't quite falling into place on my roster. So um, yeah, if it hasn't happened for you yet, don't worry about it. It's going to happen for you. This is this is the OWS fam is going to continue to dominate. Uh, it's like I said, after week three or four, when when uh, Roto Maven said to me, like how cool it was that, that all of this was happening. I said, the crazy thing is this is sustainable. We're going to keep seeing this happen throughout the rest of the season. Um, you know, all these people who have been in inner circle for three years now and learned so much about DFS and they're part of the discord community. So other people learn even more quickly. If you're new to the community, you learn that much more quickly. So, uh, yeah, just keep that in mind. Uh, keep grinding one of these weeks, everything's going to fall into place. Uh, okay, so this slate. So I was saying, you know, as I was putting together my player pool, sort of seeing how interesting this this slate is in terms of how things are coming together for me. So what I realized was my wide receiver pool is totally comprised of wide receivers from seven games, and there are six games where I have no wide receivers. Furthermore, the seven games where I have wide receivers that I have interest in. I have interest in the quarterbacks in all seven of those games. So not necessarily playing all of them on tighter build, not necessarily playing all of them in single entry three max. Now, again, I do like to play anywhere from like 10 to 13 different rosters in single entry three max. So I could viably have seven, eight different quarterbacks across those rosters. But the point being that this is a week where it's like, here's these games that I like from a passing perspective, from a quarterback perspective, from a wide receiver perspective. And then here's these other six games out of 13 that I'm just like, eh, I'm not touching these wide receivers. So I'm going to go through these games real quickly. And, and these six games where I'm not touching the wide receivers, you could make cases for wide receivers on some of these teams and some of these games. So it's not that I'm not on them. It's, it's, or, or it's not that I don't think they're good plays. It's more just a function of how this slate is coming together for me. So let me lay that out for you guys right here. Uh, so first up at the top, right? We're going to look at these seven games first and then those other uh, six games. And then let's see, then we'll kind of wrap up the way that I'm seeing this slate and, and then we'll hit the uh, bottom up build. Um, so we got these three games at the top or three offenses at the top. 
We have the Rams playing against the Giants. Now, the Giants are not a pushover defense. We've seen them do well against some defenses, against some offenses. Uh, Wink Martindale is going to throw a lot at an offense that causes the offensive linemen to have to think, that causes the offensive line to have to communicate, that causes the quarterback to have to think. But also, they're not super talented on defense. Uh, and the Wink Martindale system, because it's it's so blitz heavy uh, and man heavy behind it, like it doesn't throw as much. At a at a quarterback at an offensive line, as say Brian Flores's Vikings scheme or Mike McDonald's Ravens scheme, that they can confuse a quarterback that much more. They can confuse really good quarterbacks. Uh, so this is a good spot for the Rams, right? Where we've seen basically week in and week out, one it's such a concentrated offense, but week in and week out, one of these guys, Kyron Williams, Puka Nakua, Cooper Cup, one of these three guys is going to score. 27 plus DraftKings points. Uh, this game against the Giants is a spot where that that probably doesn't change, right? We probably get one of these guys and possibly two of these guys scoring 27 plus DraftKings points. We looked at this in D- DFS interpretations in the NFL Edge, but uh, the last five weeks, right? Um, we've got a 41 pointer from Kyron Williams in there. We've got a 36 pointer from Puka Nakua. Uh, we have a 26.9 pointer from from Puka where uh, they were playing the Browns, right? So that was the best score. Uh, but then we have another game where Cup and, what was it? Cup and Kyron Williams hit for like around 28 points, 28.5 for Cup and I think 29 for Kyron. Um, and then another game where just like one guy hit for 30 something. Anyhow, point being that when, like if one guy is hitting for 36, 41, whatever, right? Then he's kind of the only guy who's hitting a tournament worthy score. But then there's also these instances where, in softer matchups where two guys, nobody's hitting like 35 to 40, but two different guys are scoring 26, 27, 28, 29 points. So um, playing two different Rams together and hoping to get a pair, hoping to get what I always say from these Rams pieces is you can play two of them together and get 55 combined points. So even the Kyron Williams week where he got 41 points and you paired him with the right wide receiver, you got around 55 points. It was just the bulk of them came through Kyron Williams. Same thing when, when Puka put up, uh, 36 points. Kyron Williams put up, I think, 19 points that week. So you got 55 points, but you had the bulk of them from one player. So you can kind of mix and match play, two player pairings from here and try to get 55 points that are kind of evenly split. Or you can just try to pick the one offs and hope that you get one of these 35 plus point games from one of these guys. Uh, then you got the Eagles playing against the Cardinals. Eagles have been uh, largely because Jalen Hurts takes up so many of these touchdowns on the ground. In fact, how many rushing touchdowns? does he have on the season? He has 15, 15 rushing touchdowns on the season. So you've got uh, what Raheem Mostert and, and Christian McCaffrey leading the NFL in touchdowns at like 21, 22, somewhere in that range. And then you've got Jalen Hurts over here with 15 rushing touchdowns of his own. Cause every time they get down to the one yard line, uh, he's getting the touchdown. So that's kind of preventing the uh, that's 90 DraftKings points that he's taken away from other players on his offense. Uh, so it's kind of preventing the the same situation playing out for the Eagles where it's like, Hey, automatically you're going to get 26 plus points from one of these guys, another concentrated offense with lots of production. Uh, the Jalen hurts touchdowns kind of take away some of these opportunities for, um, for, you know, 30 plus point scores from these Eagles skill position players, but still a pretty good shot at one of these Eagles skill position players putting up a big game in this spot. And you have the, the 49ers playing against the commanders. We've talked about this one throughout the season as well. Again, 49ers are probably going to produce at least one score of 27 plus DraftKings points. Um, interesting thing here, I guess we'll pause right here to kind of touch on this. This is hit on in the player grid as well. <coughs> Sorry, excuse me. Uh, this is hit on in the player grid as well, but uh, what's really interesting here is the field is likely to express 
too much confidence in Christian McCaffrey and Kyron Williams. So currently uh, Christian McCaffrey projecting as the highest owned player on the slate, Kyron Williams uh, only at about 13% as of Friday, but I could see that going up. And what we, what, what we have is people kind of, they're flocking to the safety, right? Like, okay, well, Christian McCaffrey's not going to miss. Kyron Williams is not going to miss, but they also kind of skip over the fact that they're not always going to hit. So four of Christian McCaffrey's last seven games, four of his last seven games, he's finished with like 22 or fewer DraftKings points. In two of those, Debo has gone for 37 plus. And another two of those, Kittle has gone for 22 plus, right? So those are not blow up games, but price considered, those are really nice games for Kittle. Uh, Kyron Williams, three of his last five games, he's had 20.2 or fewer DraftKings points. Then he's got a 29 pointer. He has a 41 pointer, but three of these last five games, He's at this lower score. And again, similar to the 49ers situation, all three of the games where Kyron Williams didn't hit, either Cup or Nakua did hit. So what we're seeing in, in Friday ownership projections is really low projected ownership on Debo Samuel, on Brandon Ayuk, on Cooper Cup, on Puka Nakua, really high projected ownership on Christian McCaffrey and moderate projected ownership on Kyron Williams that I think will grow as we get deeper into the weekend. And so one of the clearest ways to play this slate is just play this leverage angle and just have a different salary allocation in the field. So you have a totally different roster construction. Uh, and then you have this leverage off of these popular pieces that not only if Debo is hitting, it's not only helping your roster, but that probably means that this really expensive piece in Christian McCaffrey, who's going to be really popular, is putting up 19, 20, 21, 22 points, somewhere in that range. So really hurting everybody who rostered him, helping your rosters. Uh, same thing, Ayuk is going to be even lower owned than Debo. Uh, and this opportunity, we talked about it in DFS interpretations this week, that Ayuk, you know, he hasn't had these monster games. He got the 135-pointer, what, week one? Uh, and then I think a 24-pointer was his second best game. But he has six games on the year of 100-plus receiving yards with that 100-yard bonus on DraftKings. He has six touchdowns. But he has only two games in which the touchdowns have matched up with 100 plus receiving yards. So similar to what we talked about with Baker Mayfield earlier, earlier this year, where you could look through his game logs and be like, eh, but he never really goes over 20 points. But it was like, yeah, but he has had games of 300 plus passing yards. He's had other games where he almost got 300 plus passing yards. He's had games of three passing touchdowns. It just hasn't all lined up on a week together. And then a couple of weeks ago, he goes out and puts up, what was it, 384 yards and four passing touchdowns, right? So though there can be that week where everything comes together for Ayuk and he ends up being one of these tournament winning type of plays. So um, yeah, this these three games kind of stand out at the top where you could literally say, man, I'm going to just try to take a Rams piece, an Eagles piece, and a 49ers piece on every roster and, and feel like if I get the right combo, if I'm playing 150 max and mi mixing and matching that, I'm going to have, I don't know, 15, 20, 25 rosters where I have the right three-player combo from that game, and hardly anyone else will have that right three-player combo. And now I'm way ahead of the field, especially if there's not a ton of 25, 30-plus point DraftKings scores on this slate as a whole. So uh, that's kind of what's at the top of the slate is those three games. And then we have the Dolphins and Ravens playing. And uh, talked about, you know, kind of dove into this in my DFS interpretation, but there's really three ways that this game could play out where, uh, let's start here. The Ravens are Ravens Dolphins play a hundred times. Ravens are going to win that game more often than the Dolphins are going to win that game. Ravens are 
a better team, all-around team than the Dolphins. The Ravens are a better team than their record indicates. Uh, the and this is not about them beating the 49ers because again that that game actually played out a little bit closer than the score. Uh, there was really some fluky turnovers from the 49ers that, that turned the game the way that it went. Um, but we play out those two teams over and over again. The 49ers might win 55 out of out of 100 times, or at least that that game that matchup is going to be split down the middle. Um, but it's more about the Ravens. We talked about it earlier in the year when they I think it was when they were eight and three that they had trailed for fewer minutes. And I, I don't know the updated numbers here, but when they were eight and three, they had trailed for fewer minutes than all but two teams in NFL history. The 07 Patriots, who were obviously 11 and 0 at that point in the season, uh, had trailed for fewer minutes than the eight and three Ravens. And then there was another team that was 10 and one or 11 and 0 at that point in the season that had trailed for fewer minutes than the Ravens. All three of the Ravens' losses were games where they led for almost the entire game and then kind of blew the lead at the end of the game. So this Ravens team has been like historically dominant. And so this is sort of one of those games where, you know, with their defense and the way that they play on offense, where they're really primarily focused on body shots, they can hit the big plays, but it's like body shot, body shot, body shot. And then they'll try to hit the haymaker um, that the this Fangio defense can prevent those haymakers. And it could just be Ravens hitting body shots, kind of taking advantage, uh, taking the lead kind of, holding on to the advantage in this game. And this ends up being a game in the, in the low twenties, right. Which is where this game is implied to be, be scored. And um, that's probably, probably the likeliest outcome for this game. Uh, then there's a scenario where the Ravens actually are just like better than the dolphins and their defense is able to figure out how to take away Tyree kill. No Jalen Waddle to worry about this week. And the Ravens end up kind of winning and not necessarily a blowout, but, you know, kind of win this game handily 10 points, 12 points, or, or, you know, maybe the score is closer than that, but the, the game throughout is really playing to the Ravens' favor. Uh, and then there's this scenario where this game could shoot out. Same as last year, right? Last year, the over-under, if I remember correctly, was around 44 points. It was week two. No one was on this game. OWS wasn't on this game. And yet, OWS absolutely dominated the leaderboards that week. And what I mean by OWS wasn't on that game was our content didn't talk about it, right? I mentioned it as, here's a game with, you know, we always say, shootouts develop from explosive players hitting big plays. So teams that have lots of explosive players can trip into shootouts. So that week I'd kind of highlighted like, this game does have explosive players, but I wasn't on that game myself. Hilo also highlighted this game has explosive players. I don't believe he was on that game, but there were enough OWS members who have heard us over the years talk about how shootouts developed that they were like, oh, well, couldn't this turn into a shootout? Let me stack this one up. And it was like OWS at the top of every single tournament that week. Well, now we have that on, like we we have that uh, in the catalog, in the history that they had a 42 to 38 game last year. Interestingly, it was 35 to 14 heading into the fourth quarter Ravens lead. Speaking of Ravens uh, blowing games in the fourth quarter, they were leading 35 to 14. The Dolphins scored 28 fourth quarter points uh, to really kind of send that game where it ended up being. So that is within the range of outcomes. Once again, I think it's critical to keep in mind that Kyle Hamilton is going to be out for the Ravens. And one of the things I've talked about today is the Ravens are not a superstar defense. You know, they have a couple superstars in the middle with Roquan Smith and Patrick queen, but you know, middle of field, those linebackers, that's one of the lowest impact defensive positions in today's NFL, right? So they have a couple superstars in the middle, but not at like at, at difference making positions. They don't have superstar uh, defensive ends and superstar cornerbacks. Um, and what makes them so good is this mix of, a lot of really good players and Mike McDonald's scheme that throws so much at a quarterback. So they're kind of like 
uh, in the same class as the Vikings, but obviously a lot more talented than the Vikings. But we came into the season, everyone thinking the Vikings were going to be this defense we would be picking on all year. And as we've gotten deeper into the season, uh, you know, by week four, week five, it was like, oh no, like Brian Flores. And I, and I remember it's funny. I, I talked to Roto Maven, Aaron, our, our COO, uh, he was doing one of his, his season long fantasy drafts in August. And I told him like, Hey, one of the defenses you could think about just grabbing in the last round is the Vikings. Cause like, here's what Flores does and how this low talent defense could actually end up being a really good defense as we get deeper into the season. Uh, so, you know, you can see those things coming and it's the same thing with the Ravens, like talent wise punch for punch, they're maybe like a top seven defense, maybe a top 10 defense. Um, but it's this scheme that throws so much at an opponent that that really makes things tough on them. So why do I say all of this? Well, two things. One, Kyle Hamilton is like the one superstar who's kind of difference making all over the field. And right now we're trending toward him missing this game. Two, we talked last week uh, when the, the Lions were playing against the Vikings. We were saying Ben Johnson and this Lions offense is one of these offenses that might be able to keep the Vikings defense off balance. So where the Vikings are typically able to keep an, an opposing offense off balance. This is one of those spots where, hey, Ben Johnson might be able to figure out how to keep the Vikings off balance all game. And the, the Lions could have a really nice offensive game in this matchup that gives most teams problem. So again, the Vikings are like a bottom 12 defense in terms of talent. The Ravens are like a top 12 defense, maybe even like a top seven or eight defense in terms of talent, but they're not like the number one defense in the NFL or the number two defense in the NFL, just in terms of raw talent. They are kind of in that like second tier of defenses in terms of raw talent. So Mike McDaniel, especially with no Kyle Hamilton on defense for the Ravens, Mike McDaniel might be able to pull a Ben Johnson in the spot and say, Hey, look, here are the things that the Ravens like to do. Here's the rules that they all, that they follow. And here's the things that we can do to exploit that on offense. So there is that opportunity for this to turn into a shootout game. And I, and I think it's important to keep that in mind on a week like this, where you're kind of looking for those spots that could really zoom past what the field is doing, because especially as we get this deep into the season, you see the field gravitating toward comfort. You see the field gravitating toward the high floor plays that maybe don't have had to have it tournament winning ceiling. And so, yes, if you're wrong on your home run swings, you fall behind those high floor rosters, but who cares? You're not trying to cash. You're trying to get to first place. So if you're correct on your home run swings, you zoom way past all those high floor safe rosters. So uh, this is one of those spots where you could build, like kind of go all in on this game environment. Uh, then we have kind of some game environments that are at the next tier where uh, they don't really stand out on paper. You, it, It's not as likely that we get shootouts here, but they are very interesting, especially compared to how much interest the field is putting on these games. So first up, we have the Titans and the Texans. I mean, this Titans defense that we have you know, picked on relentlessly with quarterbacks, with pass catchers. Now, the thing with the Titans is they don't typically give up monster games because they don't give up a ton of touchdowns. They're the best red zone defense in the NFL. But two things with the Texans. One, they can be pretty good in the red zone. Two, they score a lot of touchdowns from outside the red zone. Uh, did they play the Steelers earlier this year? I don't remember actually, um, but I feel like it was a game against the Steelers. I'm trying to pull it up right now. Yeah, well, it was. It was a game against the Steelers where we talked about this. And we said the Steelers are, they give up a lot of yards and why they're a good defense. In fact, we looked at it this last week in the uh, DFS interpretation. I think the Steelers have given up the 21st most or, or the they're 21st in yards allowed. So uh, only 11 teams have given up more yards than the Steelers. 
but only six teams have given up fewer points than the Steelers. The Steelers, they they give the yards, but once teams get in the red zone, it's really tough to score against. And what we said that week was, well, the Texans, we, we even laid out like how, what percentage of the Texans touchdowns had come from outside the red zone. That was heading into uh, week four, but it was like, man, the Texans can actually score from outside the red zone and end up putting together this, this good game in this spot. Uh, that was a game where Stroud ended up throwing for 306 and two touchdowns. Um, similar situation here where what makes the Titans good on defense is that they do not give up points in the red zone, but the Texans can score in the red zone and the Texans can score from outside the red zone. And it's possible that this soft matchup against the Tennessee secondary, where you also can't run against the Titans, that this is a sort of spot where CJ Stroud comes back. Nobody's thinking about him because he's just coming back from uh, these two games missed with the concussion. And he comes and puts up a signature game in this spot where the Texans are pushing for a playoff spot, need to win their last two games. Uh, on top of that, I'll, I'll have the numbers laid out in the player grid. I haven't updated these numbers yet, but earlier this year, we had looked at, it was like the three, the three game lull from CJ Stroud where he hadn't played well. And we took out like those three games and every other game on the season, the Texans had produced a wide receiver score of, I think it was like 26 plus DraftKings points. Now we have Tank Dells out, Nico Collins and Noah Brown playing against the Titans. Nobody on this passing attack, CJ Stroud back in the fold. So I'll have the updated numbers in the player grid, but basically if CJ Stroud is starting and playing well, one of these wide receivers is going to score 26 plus DraftKings points. It's been the case in like 100% or 90% of games this season. If we take out that little three game stretch where the Texans offense just was not clicking. So um, really interesting spot here where not just CJ Stroud, but also Texas pass catchers, you know, without CJ Stroud, just pairing them in with other things. And obviously there's kind of the, the other side of that where Will Levis won't be on my tighter build, but in large field play, I think he's really interesting because there's that potential game environment where Look, the Titans want to run the ball. They want to keep teams from scoring the red zone. They want to have these long drives, force opponents to pick up yards, but then not score in the red zone. So they score three points and the, the Titans have the ball for a long time. You know, last week, Seattle had the ball three times in the second half against the Titans. Typically you have the ball five times in a half and five times, even six times in a half. So that's kind of what the Titans want to do. But what if the Texans are scoring touchdowns early and then the Titans have to, and it's hard to run against the Texans and the Titans are having to start throwing the ball. So Will Levis is kind of interesting in large field play. Obviously DeAndre Hopkins, interesting um, as a one-off, but more interesting paired with one of these uh, Texans pieces. Because what, what I said in DFS interpretations was, yes, DeAndre Hopkins can hit for 25, 30 points in isolation, right? He can get eight targets and just have a big game, but his likeliest path to a big game is the Titans having to throw more and the Titans have to throw more if the Texans are scoring points uh, and taking a lead and kind of forcing the Titans in that direction. So uh, another interesting game there, Titans and Texans. And then we have the Saints and Bucks where some people are on Baker Mayfield this week because like, man, you know, not a great matchup, but Baker has served me well. And he's this cheap guy who's consistently playing well and putting up points, but people are so far off the Derek Carr bandwagon that nobody's really thinking about him in this matchup that, that the DFS field has been successfully picking on all season long. So uh, Derek Carr put up 28 DraftKings points last week, uh, 29 DraftKings points last week, threw for 319 yards and three touchdowns. The week before that, he threw for only 218 yards, but three touchdowns. Uh, three weeks before that, he threw for no touchdowns, but threw for 304 yards. So one of those things where, again, it's possible for the 300 yards and the three touchdowns to all come together on the same week. Derek Carter put up one of these really nice games. Uh, and, then, and then great in that Michael Thomas is out. Rashid Shahid is now no longer that gadget guy who's playing 
40% of the, 40% of the snaps. He's playing more like 80% of the snaps now. True number two receiver. Only 4,600 has this explosive upside, wide range of outcomes still, but explosive upside. So uh, that's another one of these game environments. It's really interesting. Marshawn Lattimore out for the Saints. So uh, as I mentioned in DFS interpretations, you still have these physical corners and the style of play from the Saints secondary that uh, has given Mike Evans fits in the past. But that Mike Evans, Marshawn Lattimore matchup has been one of the like biggest titanic clashes of superstar players in the NFL every season over the last several years. And typically it's been Marshawn Lattimore completely erasing Mike Evans. Uh, he had like one decent game and one big game against Marshawn Lattimore, if I remember correctly. And he has, I believe, multiple games with zero catches against Marshawn Lattimore. So Lattimore out creates this opportunity for Mike Evans, who still will probably want to put put up a big game against this team that the, the Buccaneers do not like. Uh, so very interesting game environment there. Uh, I wouldn't say that Mike Evans is up near the top of my list. He's not even necessarily in the player grid, but uh, he'll be a piece that I'll pull in with some of these Saints pieces. But Alave, really interesting. Shahid, really interesting. And Carr, kind of fringe, interesting. Same thing in that Titans-Texans game in that, uh, look, Stroud, just, Stroud is just really expensive for like a guy without a ton of rushing upside. But um, that Titans-Texans game where uh, Nico, very interesting, you know, Noah Brown, interesting as a hedge bet off of him. DeAndre Hopkins, interesting as a, as a trail bet with one of those guys. And then kind of some fringe interest in Stroud for tighter build and then Stroud and Levis for large field play. Uh, and then the last spot chiefs playing the Bengals. So I, this very much reminded me of the week that the Ravens played Detroit. And if you recall that week, which I don't know why you would, uh, I do because I'm immersed in this uh, week in and week out. But uh, on that week, I on Thursday night, I, I through the research, through my DFS interpretation, I had no interest in the Ravens. And then Thursday night, I was building some practice builds and and built a Lamar Jackson practice build, and it was like, whoa, this is pretty sneaky. Now to put that into context, the Detroit defense have been playing much better at that point than they have been playing of late. Uh, this was kind of the start of their downhill uh, slide. And Lamar was coming off of games of 18.1 against Tennessee and 11.9 against Pittsburgh. Uh, he did have a 29-pointer and a 32-pointer the two games before that. And then 22 before that, 8.6 before that. So Lamar was kind of on this stretch of like, and eh, like same Lamar we've had in the past few years where there's a few hits, but a lot of duds mixed in. Playing this Detroit defense has been playing really well. And and I was just like, uh, I don't want to play Lamar Jackson. And then I started building this roster, this practice build on Thursday night. And it was like, whoa, Lamar is actually really sneaky. I actually kind of like this. And then I flip over the cards on Friday morning, look at ownership for the first time. And Lamar was one of the most popular quarterbacks on the slate. And I actually ended up playing zero Lamar, which again is, is not good sound logical process. It's like, well, I should have still played Lamar. I thought he was sneaky. I liked him because I thought here's a guy with a lot of, a lot of ceiling and he's going to be low owned. Okay. So now he's not going to be low owned, but he still has a lot of ceiling. So I should play some of him. Uh, ended up moving off him altogether. He went out and put up 30, 37.9 DraftKings points that week at high ownership uh, and kind of, you know, sank my week as a result of that. So similar this week with, uh, I was was actually, as I was writing my DFS interpretations, but I went into my Chiefs write-up thinking, I don't really have interest in, in Mahomes, right? This guy's put up one tournament-worthy score all season. Uh, Rasheed Rice has topped 20 points two times all season, and he's 6,900, which still doesn't make any, any sense whatsoever. But uh, Travis Kelsey, you know, he's got this one tournament-worthy score all season. Uh, 
And then as I was thinking about that game, I was like, man, this is actually really sneaky though. You know, the, the, all the negativity surrounding the Kansas city offense and uh, the, the backfield is banged up. So you probably put a little bit more on Mahomes' plate this week and playing this Bengals team that's given them problems in the past. And now Jamar chase talking trash about the, the Kansas city defense throughout the week. And this just sets up as one of those games where nobody's going to be thinking, thinking about Mahomes. He's going to come out and put up, 35 DraftKings points and Kelsey's going to put up 35 DraftKings points. And this Kansas city offense is going to look like the Kansas city offense. Then I turn over the cards this morning, look at ownership for the first time. And Mahomes is like the third or fourth highest projected owned quarterback over 8% projected ownership. And it's just like, man, well now I don't like Mahomes as much, but similar to that Lamar Jackson week, the, the fact still stands that he has this huge ceiling. Now he shouldn't be owned at the level that he's going to be owned. He might actually not be owned at this level because again, this is, Friday ownership projection. This is largely algorithm driven at this point. And the algorithms take into account um, implied team totals, which again, the, the chiefs implied team total is seems high for a team that has topped 21 points twice in their last eight games. But um, so I could see the field kind of being like, ah, eh, no, I'm not going to Mahomes. And in fact, the high projected ownership on a Friday, similar to if Mahomes were projected for 2% ownership on a Friday, he might actually end up at six or 7% by Sunday because People would start seeing that. People would start recognizing that. People would start start thinking, well, man, low-owned Mahomes is always pretty interesting. Um, content providers would start talking about that, right? Similar on the flip side where people might see Mahomes at 8.4%, be like, man, he hasn't done any, anything all year. Uh, and, and that ownership could, could start to drop as we get closer to Sunday. So uh, this, this, you know, bad Bengals, uh, listen, Chiefs offense is bad right now, right? I mean, they're, they're genuinely, uh, like, I think, the last over the last two weeks, Patrick Mahomes has been PFF's 31st graded quarterback. So, like now he has started playing poorly as well with all of this bad around him. But guys are just not catching passes, guys are not completing their assignments, guys are making mistakes, too many penalties, too many mistakes, uh, just too much going wrong for this Kansas City offense. And again, this is a team that has literally topped 21 real life points only twice in their last eight games. But the Bengals defense has been playing really poorly this season. They miss Von Bell. They miss Jesse Bates. Uh, they have not pulled it all together this season. And if there's a spot for Kansas City to get on track, this is that spot. So kind of these seven games, right? You got Rams playing the Giants, Eagles playing the Cardinals, 49ers playing the Commanders, spots where you're probably getting at least one big DraftKings score from each of those teams. You have the Dolphins and the Ravens playing with a broad range of outcomes, but a lot of ceiling if this game plays out in a particular way. You have the Titans, Texans, Saints, and Bucks where – there are individual pieces from those games that look really attractive, regardless of whether you pull the quarterbacks in or not. And there's this outside chance that the games play out in such a way that the quarterbacks are viable and valuable as well. Uh, and then you have the Chiefs playing the Bengals, where should it be as popular as these current ownership projections are saying? No, but also couldn't this be the game that separates from the field, the offense separates from the field, the pieces that you had to have. Yes. And so that's another one to keep in mind. So other spots, you've got bills and Patriots. Uh, I would be fine taking shots on Ezekiel Elliott. I'd be fine taking shots on Demario Douglas. I would be fine taking shots on a bills pass catcher on James Cook, even on Josh Allen. Um, but I just don't plan to go there myself, right? Patriots generally mute their game environments. We looked at it this week. The, the Bills have scored 24 to 24 to 47 points in their last five games against the Patriots. Obviously, the 47-pointer was that a wild card game where uh, the Bills could do no wrong, and Josh Allen completed like 21 straight passes or something crazy like that. But uh, generally speaking, like 
24 to 33 points is going to be what you expect from the Bills against this Patriots defense. But as we also noted, the Patriots tend to force the Bills, most teams, but uh, they've done it with the Bills, force them to work to like eight, 10 different guys, right? So it doesn't tend to be one guy piling up a ton of production. Uh, so Josh Allen kind of fringe, interesting. He, he could put up 31, 32, 33 points. And if Hertz only puts up 26 and Lamar only puts up 22 or 24, like all of a sudden Josh Allen's the best individual piece, but you got to pay a lot for him. And like, who do you stack him with? So uh, that's one that I'm just not drawn toward myself. Uh, wouldn't mind a little bit of that in large field play, but I'm not going there personally. Now, again, all of these are spots that you could make a case for. You might read somebody else who likes these spots. I haven't read what Mike likes this week. I haven't read what Hilo or Xanamir like this week. So uh, I haven't read what Poppy likes or, or what's in Sonic's MME pool. So you could actually go to the scroll and find other people who like these spots. So this is just the way I'm seeing it and the way that I'm seeing this clear delineation between this these like three offenses, right? And then the potential of this Dolphins-Ravens game and then this Titans-Texans game, Saints-Bucks game, and then the Chiefs-Dolphins, right? There's like four clear little categories that these teams fall into. And then these other six games just kind of fall into the category of like, yeah, any of these games could produce something but that's just not where I'm going to be chasing this week. Uh, we got the Falcons and Bears. You know, if I'm not on DJ Moore, then it must be a really bad spot. Uh, DJ Moore obviously rolled up his ankle last week, missed a bunch of that game, came back in, didn't look like himself, still has the ankle issue, really tough matchup against the Falcons. Uh, Falcons playing this Bears defense that they just match up horribly against. Uh, Raiders and Colts, I like Zamir White and Jonathan Taylor in that game. You guys know how I feel about Colts wide receivers, particularly Michael Pittman, uh, in that, you know, he has the 130-pointer this year, it took 16 targets for him to get there. And that's just like the score you need at his price tag. Uh, he had two 30 pointers last year. So it's not to say he can't hit that type of score, but it's just to say what you're really paying for is the safety, the floor, the fact that he scores double digit points all the time. The fact that he gets in that 17 to 22 point range, you overpay for that score. And then every once in a while you get the score that you need at his salary, but you're never really, unless it was just like a totally fluky outcome, you're never going to get that like 37 pointer or 42 pointer that other guys in that price range are capable of producing. So uh, just not a guy that I go to unless I'm, I'm really kind of forced in that direction. Um, so that that's a game where I'm focused on the rushing attack, not focused on the pass catchers uh, Panthers Jags. Again, we don't typically attack pass catchers against the Panthers and then the we don't typically attack with Panthers pass catchers. I do think, you know, last week, oh, that's another one. The the Amari thing from earlier, the Addison thing from earlier. Last week, we talked about Adam Thielen. We talked about, is Adam Thielen a great on-paper play? No, but he's capable of putting up 30 points. And Chuba Hubbard's going to be popular. Jonathan Mingo's going to be popular. If he puts up 30 points, he's taking away points from those guys, adding the, taking away points from a huge chunk of the field, adding them to your roster on a low owned guy, right? Just a really powerful way to play things. Well, what ended up happening? Chuba Hubbard disappointed, Jonathan Mingo disappointed, but it was DJ Shark who put up, what was it, 27 DraftKings points last week. So uh, same type of thing where, you know, that thought process of how can I maneuver around the field? If we're always thinking about that and we're always close to landing on that right thing, right? A couple of weeks early on Amari Cooper, a week early on Jordan Addison, uh, the wrong player on this Panthers leverage situation, right? We keep doing that though. And we keep pushing those buttons. We're gonna have those weeks where, we push on the right door and the right door opens for us. So uh, Panthers, you could certainly have the same type of thing here where you say, uh, man, a Panthers pass catcher, nobody's going to be on it. But the problem problem here is you're taking on the risk that could be nobody from the Panthers scores and there's no like leverage to play around with. So last week I was willing to be wrong on, on Adam Thielen because if I was right, 
It didn't just help me in terms of the points. It also helped me because it was hurting a bunch of other rosters. Uh, this week, there's there's not going to be heavy interest on Chuba Hubbard or Jonathan Mingo or DJ Shark. So it's not like you get a bunch of leverage by getting that right. You just get the raw points. So uh, less interested in that spot this week. Although, again, I wouldn't argue against it. Wouldn't argue against Steelers wideouts, Seahawks wideouts, but nothing really stands out in that spot. And then Chargers, Broncos, um, you know, you could make a case for Austin Eckler. You can make a case for some of these pass catchers and these depleted pass catching cores. But uh, again, we're looking at Jarrett Stidham and, and Easton Stick, just a game I plan to stay away from. So kind of gives you a sense of how I see this slate. Uh, last thing I want to mention here, again, we'll touch on this part in the player grid as well, but there's this, this interesting salary allocation setup where the wide receivers priced at 7K and above are just not getting the attention that they should be getting. And we know, we've talked about the season about how it is typically plus EV to pay down at running back because it's PPR scoring and we have all these alpha wide receivers in the, in the NFL right now who are consistent and are seeing heavy targets. Now, there was an interesting stretch of the season where we were also getting a lot of 30-point scores from 5K and 6K wide receivers. Uh, those guys are now no longer priced in that 5K to 6K range, but there was that interesting stretch where we were getting big scores from these cheaper wide receivers. So even if you were overpaying for your, you know, you paid 7,500 for a running back and he put up 20 points and you could have paid 5,500 and gotten 20 points. Well, you still ended up maybe a little bit ahead of the field because that pushed your salary over to this 5K, 6K range for wide receiver and elevated your rosters as a result. Um, there was another stretch of the season where Justin Jefferson was hurt and uh, Jamar Chase was banged up and playing with Jake Browning and Keenan Allen was way overpriced and, and didn't quite have the, the role and ceiling that he'd had earlier in the season in this Chargers offense that was no longer clicking. And Stefan Diggs had kind of fallen off and what else was there? Devontae Adams playing with Aiden O'Connell. Like, and it was and it was just like, well, what are we paying up for at wide receiver? Right. Like, yeah, the cheap running backs can can potentially match the output of the expensive running backs. And the expensive running backs are overpriced for their expected range of production. But if I'm saving this salary, what am I paying up for at wide receiver? Right. So we had kind of that weird stretch. But we're now back to this point where again, Debo Samuel was part of that group of guys who were like 5K, 6K that we were getting. 30 plus points from uh, Puka Nakua was part of that group of cheap guys that we were getting 30 plus points from. Well, now we're in this point where we've got Tyree kill on the slate again, um, tough matchup, but no Kyle Hamilton, clear opportunity for him to score 30 plus points. We've got AJ Brown who has quote fallen off, but still 14 points, 10 points, 17 points, 22 points, 14 points. And then we go back and he's got the 36 pointer, the 32 pointer, the 41 pointer uh, in this matchup against Arizona. He's capable of putting up that type of game. We have Cooper cup and Puka Nakua. And if Kyron Williams doesn't score 30, one of these two is probably scoring 30 or, you know, in that 30 point range. Uh, we have Mike Evans, who again, not a good matchup, not a high likelihood of hitting, but at least needs to be kept in mind and considered. We have Debo Samuel, who has a pair of 37 pointers across his last four games, maybe even, uh, yeah, across his last four games. Uh, we have Devontae Smith uh, kind of as that, that fallback option behind AJ Brown. And then we've got Nico Collins, um, who again, I'll have the numbers in the player grid, but generally speaking, if CJ Stroud is under center, one of these Texans wide receivers is going to score, you know, 26 plus DraftKings points. Uh, and then we have Brandon Ayuk, 
who, as we said, you know, the, the scores haven't been there, but the production has been there, just hasn't all lined up together in one game. So, uh, oh, and then Chris Olave, who, you know, has really been on a tear lately, uh, 26, 12, 19, 21, 21 DraftKings points, but the touchdowns similarly, right? The touchdowns and yards have not lined up together. He had a touchdown with 46 yards, a touchdown with 94 yards, just shy of the hundred yard bonus. 114 yards, but no touchdown. 119 yards, but no touchdown. A touchdown with 28 yards, 123 yards, but no touchdown. So uh, very easy for him to fall into one of those games where the touchdown and the 100-yard bonus all come together. Uh, So there's a lot of value or there's a lot of ceiling in paying up, especially when we get below the 7Ks and it's like, or below 6,800, right? And you're looking at DJ Moore with the bum ankle. You're looking at Calvin Ridley in this bad matchup against the Panthers with, with either Trevor Lawrence, who's banged up and playing poorly, or C.J. Beathard, who's not a great quarterback. You've got T. Higgins. Uh, if Jamar Chase is out, you have T. Higgins against his tough Kansas City secondary. You have Chris Godwin, who you know has the one big game all season. You have Adam Thielen, who doesn't have the role he had earlier in this year. With you know DeAndre Hopkins, who can hit for the big game, but um, you know probably doesn't. You got Tyler Lockett, who what, one game this year that was really worth rostering at twenty five point nine points. Uh, not a game environment sets up well for a big game, right? He's priced appropriately. Zay Flowers can hit those twenty points, but priced appropriately. Like we get below sixty eight hundred. We might not get a single 30-point score from any of these wide receivers. Uh, Noah Brown might be our best bet. Obviously, a guy like George Pickens can hit for that, but the target volume probably won't be there, so you need everything to come together. Uh, so I say that to say, like, when we're looking for what could be the 30-point scores on this slate, well, what if Jonathan Taylor doesn't put up 30? He hasn't done it in a couple of years. What if Christian McCaffrey doesn't put up 30? What if Kyron Williams doesn't put up 30? All of a sudden, you're looking at a slate where we could have three, four, five of these high-priced wide receivers putting up 30, and, and none of these running backs putting up 30 and none of the cheap wide receivers putting up 30. So I think that's a, a really, I mean, that's the angle I'm primarily playing on this slate is how do I get multiples of these two, three of these high price wide receivers? So that's not to say that that is this, the way this slate's going to play out, but I think that that's one of the interesting ways to think about this slate is people are just not allocating enough ownership to these higher price wide receivers. And when you kind of break down the shape of the slate, all you need is really Kyron and CMC to not go for 30. And all of a sudden that means that two more of these wide receivers up here, Debo or Ayuk, Puka or Cup is probably going for 30, 27 plus, right? And you pair that with the other guys who are going in that price range who are also going for big games. So um, you're just so far ahead of the field by just the nature of how you're allocating your salary and, and how you're building your roster. So that's the biggest edge I see. Doesn't mean it's going to play out to in our favor on the small sample size of this one week, but I would definitely encourage you, you're building three rosters, five rosters, 150 rosters, uh, set aside a portion of those to say, how do I get two or three of these high-priced wide receivers uh, in case this ends up being the way to build? Last thing is the bottom-up build. We don't really spend much time on this anymore, uh, but let me run through it. So um, I won't even go through the whole explanation, but 44K salary cap, uh, and think about how we would also build this if everybody had a 44K salary cap. And then also we have a contest where everybody has a 44K salary cap, the bottom-up build contest. You can find it linked in my player grid in the scroll. You can also find it in the bottom-up build channel on Discord, the link to the bottom-up build contest. Build with a 44K salary cap, uh, win a bunch of free stuff on OWS if you are the winner. So my bottom-up build, uh, what I wanted to do was 
I wanted to get two cheaper running backs. I go with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and Zamir White in order to see how much salary I can free up for a couple of the higher-priced wide receivers. I was not able to get up to multiple higher-priced wide receivers, even going with Tyrod Taylor and Darren Waller. Really like that stack. Not as a way to... Again, as I said, Tyra Taylor, I think I said it in this show, Tyra Taylor's probably not scoring 25 plus points, but if he can score 19, 20, 21, 22, and if the high price quarterbacks kind of score under 30, uh, just from a salary allocation standpoint and the ability it opens up for multiple higher price wide receivers could end up being really valuable. So Tyra Taylor, Darren Waller. Uh, end up going with Pukunakua as my Rams piece and my leverage off of any Kyron Williams rosters. Uh, again, not able to get up to one of these 49ers wide receivers. So I end up going with George Kittle as my 49ers piece and leverage off of Christian McCaffrey because there will be some Christian McCaffrey rosters in the bottom up build contest. And uh, that gets me the starting point of Tyrod Taylor, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Amir White, Puka Nakua, Darren Waller, and George Kittle. Uh, Rashid Shahid as a salary saver. Michael Wilson as a salary saver. Again, we've been picking on the Eagles all season, the Eagles secondary all season. You can't run against the Eagles. The Eagles are going to score points. So put those two things together and opponents pass a lot against the Eagles. And uh, obviously, Trey McBride is going to be the guy soaking up the targets for the Cardinals. But... Hollywood Brown is out. It's going to be Greg Dortch. It's going to be Rondell Moore. It's going to be Michael Wilson. Well, Rondell Moore is the gadget guy. He doesn't like command targets down the field. So there is that chance of, you know, Greg Dortch, who everyone's kind of put out of mind. Michael Wilson, who posted zero points last week on four targets, going to be out of mind for everybody. There is a chance that one of these guys posts 15 points, 18 points, 20 points this week at a cheap price tag uh, and ends up being really valuable. So Michael Wilson also frees up some salary for me here. Broncos defense to wrap things up. So uh, that gives us exactly 44K in salary spent, a roster of Tyra Taylor, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Zamir White, Pukunakua, Rashid Shahid, Michael Wilson, Darren Waller, George Kittle, and the Broncos defense. With that, I am done talking for the rest of the day. Uh, go rest my voice a little bit more, my throat a little bit more. As always, thanks for hanging out. Uh, I think think a good, valuable podcast is a supplement to the player grid. Hopefully it gives you guys a, a sense of how I'm seeing the slate, how I want to attack the slate uh, between my player pool. And also just like, I think th- this week, player pool is less important than this kind of macro structure of the slate and finding what the edges might be. So uh, yeah, cool podcast today. I will... See you on the site throughout the weekend, and I will see you at the top of the leaderboards on Sunday.